Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You know Richard Kind. He's that guy. This is the last laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and today on the show, we have one of my all-time favorite character actors, Richard Kind. Depending on your age, you might recognize Richard from Mad About You or Spin City or Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's also a phenomenal voice actor with roles like the imaginary friend Bing Bong in Pixar's Inside Out and John Mulaney's character's dad on Big Mouth. This summer, he's co-starring as the inventor of the internet in the mockumentary film The Social Ones, even though, as he tells me, his nickname for his kids is Tech Support. Richard has so many great stories from his long career, and he tells a lot of them on today's show, including the time he almost guest starred on Seinfeld and why he thinks he could have been better as Rudy Giuliani in last year's Bombshell. And make sure to stick around until the end of the episode to hear him share some incredibly strong opinions about his comedy hero, Woody Allen. Let's get to it. This is me and Richard Kind. So let's go. Are we going to talk about politics, Daily Beast? I hope so. If you want I to, love, we can. I, I love what you guys do. I, I read Thank you. you religiously, meaning I'm on my knees praying that he goes. Well, I do want to talk about you because you work so much. You're in so many things all the time. And now we're in this time where you can't work. So how are you handling that? So what the hell do you want to talk about that? If I, it's, <laughs> it's horrible. It really is. It's horrible. I accept every uh, Zoom script that wants to be read. I did a workshop of a musical. I'm reading plays that may be done or want to hear what it sounds like out loud. I have more Zoom calls, but I really, really miss working. And anybody who knows me knows that I work for work's sake and money comes second which is why producers get me for cheap, but <laughs> I really can't do it anymore because I got to make a living. And I shouldn't be saying that, but I really... I know, I was going to say, you sure you want to say that out loud? No, I guess not. But those bastards <laughs> aren't going to listen to this. My old joke used to be the guy who did all the contracts uh, and he comes home to his wife, he goes, you know that guy who you like so much? Oh, he was on Mad About You and then you liked him on Spin City and then, then he was on Curb. Oh, I love him. He goes, yeah, yeah. I really fucked him over today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, the one thing that it seems like is still happening, at least to some degree, is animation, which you've done a lot of and you're continuing to do. I have. Number one, when you do animation, you're talking about 45 minutes to an hour's worth of work. Yeah. Tops. You only do your lines. It's a 28-minute program of which you are two minutes and 45 seconds of. Mm -hmm. And so boom, boom, boom. It's great. It's fantastic. And like you say, well, you saw the problems I have getting online with these things. <laughs> I'm wondering if I'm losing work because they're all talking stuff. Don't hire Richard Kind. His audio <laughs> is terrible. <laughs> You're going to hate his audio. It's the worst I've ever seen. Have you had to do some voiceover from home? Yes, I have. 
and it's fun. Was that for Big Mouth or for something else? Well, I've done a couple of table reads for Big Mouth. They did one uh, public. Then that was great. That I got to watch, which was really fun. I know. And look who I'm acting with. I'm looking with all of the, into the eyes of all these people. I'm like, I'm starstruck because <laughs> these are the people who, they certainly influenced my kids and they really influenced me because I got to keep up with the style of humor that is not necessarily my own. Or let me put it this way, that I really love, but it's not coming out of my mouth. You got to write it for me. It's fantastic. How did you get involved in that show? How did they approach you? I'll tell you how I got involved with it. I'm going to name drop so much. You're going to love this. Um, yeah, oh, that's great. My God. I love name dropping. So I meet Nick and what a great guy. He's great. And I meet all of his friends. He invites me to do the old Nick Kroll show that was a lot of sketches. Yeah, yeah. And I did the guys with ponytails, <laughs> uh, you know, guys with ponytails. It was hilarious. And he's a great guy. And I loved him. And he's fun. We have similar backgrounds to a degree. And then he has a friend, John Mulaney, mm -hmm. who then I did opening night of Oh Hello off-Broadway. Oh, yeah, where they so would bring was, a guest up. and they, So you were the guest, right? And I was the guest on opening yeah. night off-Broadway. It's pretty special. And got a great review. So another ho-hum, great review in the New York <laughs> Times. They decided to use Alan Alda for opening it up on Broadway, but then I did it again <laughs> on Broadway. And then John wrote co-op, and he saw me in a lot of musical theater. He saw me do the Sondheim thing in Washington. So he knew me, and he wrote co-op with me in mind, I think. Yeah, and that was the documentary now. Yeah, uh, parody, yeah. A parody of the company documentary, uh, right? Right, which is now out on Criterion and an interview with us. So, and then I got to do Sack Lunch Bunch. And I guess then when they had Big Mouth, they said, well, let's use Richard Kind. So it really is a lineage of work my way up. But with them, it's just not work. And they're so kind to me. They like me. They appreciate me. I always want to please them. They are, I'm riding their coattails. I'd do anything for them. They're magnificent people and magnificent artists. You're wonderfully funny on the show. And you played John Mulaney's character's John Mulaney's dad. Yes, hilarious. Can I ask you something? Me? Okay, fine, but the lights stay off. I don't own stock in Con Ed. Um, when did you start to like women? Women? Ugh, can't stand women. Really? Don't care for men either. I don't like people in general. Cut to when I did Inside Out. Whenever you do a voiceover and they don't like you, you are so easily replaced. It takes <laughs> two years to do the movie. Yeah. And you go back in for a re-record or they animated this way or they rewrote the script and you re-record. So I must have recorded somewhere between six and nine times. And they laughed and they loved me and everything. I'm a Jew and I'm an actor. So I'm neurotic and I'm neurotic. <laughs> so every time I thought I was going to get fired. Even though it went well, I thought I could get fired. The last time, and I'm always doing it alone, the last time they call and they say, we want to record with Amy Poehler, who I've met and we had dinner, but we never recorded together. And I go, oh no, they're giving me one last chance mm. to record. So I record with Amy. It's the only time I've ever recorded with anybody. I never record with anybody. Well, how did it change it to record with her? Now, who the hell knows what they talk? <laughs> it didn't feel better? It didn't feel different? Or? No, no, it was fun. We glad. <laughs> Maybe we improvised a little bit, but there was no need to because what they write is great. I just got to be in the same room with Amy and she's great. Oh my God, she's just smart and funny and the kindest. She is the kindest there is. Oh, she's so lovely. Lo lovely. Excuse me? Nah. Uh, I was I was looking for um diversion! What? <laughs> so long, sucker! <laughs> oh, I heard all over. Wait, I know. 
know you. No, you don't. I get that a lot. I look like a lot of people. No, 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 I do. <gasps> Bing Bong, Riley's imaginary friend. You really do know me? Well, of course. Riley loves playing with you. You two are best friends. Oh, oh, you would know. We're trying to get back to headquarters. Headquarters? You guys are from headquarters? Well, yeah. I'm Joy. This is Sadness. You're Joy? The Joy? Mm-hmm. Well, what the heck you doing out here? That's a good question. You want to answer that, Sadness? Oh, oh without you, Riley won't ever be happy. We can't have that. We got to get you back. Uh, I'll tell you what, follow me. Oh, thank you. So you play the character Bing Bong in, in Inside Out. And I, I heard you say recently that it's the performance that you're really most proud of in your career. So what is it about that? That, that or Serious Man? Well, this is not because of me. This is because of Pete Docter and the brilliance over at Pixar. They made up this great character. However, I'm like the modern day Jiminy Cricket. It's a beloved guy. I'm so proud to have lent a voice to a great character that you see in yeah, I'm, I'm nobody, but I'm lucky that I got the role. And could anybody have done it? Maybe out of 280 million people in this country, eh, somebody else could have done it. I'm lucky. I really won the lottery and I just love it. And uh, same thing with The Serious Man. Yeah. That one, not so much because I think there's limited, you see the face. There's a limited number of people, but certainly as far as actors, geez, uh, anybody. Yeah, I know. wanted to ask you about that one too, because that's my favorite of the Coen Brothers movies, I think. It's so good. I love it too. When we were making the movie, but this was a few years ago, while we were making it said this is their favorite and they had been on every Coen Brothers. And I'm sure that's changed over time, but geez, what a proud moment that I have. It's great. What, what was it like working with the Coens? They're shockingly charming. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I know. You would think that they weren't. They are. They're goofy sometimes. They're kind all the time. They're smart. They're standoffish sometimes. They know exactly what they want. They do not welcome fools. And I did everything I could not to be foolish because they're smart. You know, mm -hmm. Ethan was a philosophy major. So he's smart, really smart. It's not that they're standoffish. That was the wrong word. I want to talk and talk and talk. <laughs> they don't need to talk. Yeah. They're comfortable being quiet. So it's mm -hmm. not standoffish. That really was the wrong word. They're comfortable being quiet. They really are. But I will tell you this. The greatest compliment I ever got from a performance in that movie was Francis McDormand at the opening night or some party came up to me, took me by the lapels and just <laughs> pulled me in and goes, you finally gave the boys some heart. <laughs> that was great. That was wonderful. That's great. I think you're mostly known for comedy, but that was a pretty serious role. Yeah, well, I'm known for comedy because that's what's accessible to everybody. Yeah. But if you want to pay $149, you can see me on Broadway. Right. I go out and I do shows that challenge me and that mm -hmm. I know what I get paid for. I know what I'm hired for. Mm -hmm. And nobody on TV, nor sometimes, and I'm not going to say nor should they, but there's a lot of money at stake when you're doing TV or movies. Yeah. And you don't want to roll the dice on that one. Go with somebody who is tried and true dramatic. And what is this idiot going to do with a dramatic role? But in theater, you don't have to do that. Yeah. The economic consequences aren't that high. And when I say economic consequences, you have stockholders who have shares in whatever outlet is releasing the movie. You got to serve them. It's enough you got to serve the script. You got to serve the stockholders. And so I don't blame them for not taking a chance. In theater, I can go to a theater and they go, oh, that guy from Curb Your Enthusiasm is doing a play. Let's go <laughs> see it. And so maybe somebody will come in because of me. 
and I can go out on a limb and do a drama. Yeah, it's funny you use the phrase that guy because I always think about that with character actors. There's this kind of idea of you're that guy. I'm that guy. And I'm always curious what that's like for you because, you know, I think a lot of people know who you are, know your name, but there's a lot of people who might just recognize you but not be able to identify you. And Oh, and I love that. When I was a kid, I lay in bed at night dreaming of being a movie star and signing autographs and being interviewed by the Daily Beast, maybe. Who knows? But to dream of what comes with fame. First of all, fame sucks, but that's tough to really translate to somebody who's going, well, no, it doesn't. It also, the only thing it really gets you is better roles, okay? That's really what fame gets you. The money isn't worth the suffering. Yeah. It just isn't. You know, it gets you upgraded to first class and it will get you into a restaurant. But I always say, I once heard, and I can't think of who it was, is you go into a bank and they have everything you want at that bank is behind a metal door that locks. Everything, it's all there. And you come in and the guy says, oh my God, I love you. I've watched you for years. You make me laugh. You make me happy. My life is enhanced by watching you. Thank you very much. Listen, I know you have some stuff behind that door. <laughs> Can I have some of it? No, but we'll give you a, we'll give you a pen. That's what fame gets you. <laughs> it does seem like there's a level of fame. Maybe it's the level that you're at where it's like you have enough. Matt, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that crossed... We're walking on the street, they, we cross, we cross, we cross. They turn around, they go, oh my God, and I'm walking on leading my life. <laughs> yeah. It's good enough for me. Doesn't actually intrude on your life. It's just- It a... really doesn't. And sometimes it does if I'm not in a good mood and I got to turn it on. And that's the funniest thing too, is I was working sometime, I can't remember where I was, but we, it was hot. It was really hot. They had, it was, we were waiting for long for the setups and they got us inside and we happened to be shooting at a zoo. This was in Canada. I'll be damned if I can remember. <laughs> and we went into a place that had all these birds and owls and say, snakes. And it was a real, it was great. It was like a miniature natural history museum. But they had a couple of owls in there. It was so cool. So I went in there and I knew the only way I was going to see the owl was to be nice. I didn't want to be nice. I was hot. There was no air conditioning, but I want to see the owls. So I talked to the lady. Oh, how are you? Oh, ask about the owl. Ask about her. Put on the happy face. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. I got to hold the owl. I got to take pictures with it on my shoulder. It was fantastic. Then I look on Twitter or some something. Richard Kind is the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> it was so self-serving. But look how I come off. What if I went in and said I wasn't interested in the owl and, and I let the heat get to me? She was going to go... Richard Kind's a fucking asshole. <laughs> Whatever. You got to watch it nowadays. I, it does keep me on my toes about being nicer. Yeah. Speaking of character actors, I really would love for you to tell me more about CADS. What is what is CADS? It is short for Character Actor Dining Society. We used to get together about every month, month and a half for dinner in L.A. Now, I live in New York, but I'm out in L.A. all the time. So I didn't get to go as every time because I was on the other side of the country. But like I said, quite often I'm in L.A. And we would go out and these meals go on for three hours. <laughs> and everybody at the table is smarter than the next. Everybody is as funny as funny can be. I can't say everybody is funnier than the next because you have people like Kevin Pollack. You have people like Stephen Weber who are simply the greatest wits that run around. And we talk about everything. And we are all in concert as far as our politics. And then because we can't get together at a restaurant, and I haven't been back to L.A. because of this, we have Zoom chats. Oh. And they're great. And I will tell you this. I was 
educated to such a wonderful, wonderful degree. I am so grateful because two of the people on the chat are Lawrence Fishburne and LeVar Burton. And to hear their stories and to understand that it is not enough to be liberal and it is not enough to, quote unquote, understand what they've been through, to see and hear the stories and to truly be educated and finally realize in your gut that you can't just be liberal, you must be anti-racist. Mm-hmm. Must be. You must take a, a proactive stand and do something about it. And they changed my life. One phone call, it was probably days after the George Floyd murder, when they started telling their stories and, and I really found out. And having had a conversation two or three months prior with Lawrence on the thing and Lawrence telling me stories and I remember not buying it entirely and him noticing that I didn't buy it entirely and him saying some things that could have been determined, not honky, but Caucasian. You don't get it. You just don't get it. And then finally, and at that call, it's like with 12 faces on the screen and he's looking at me. I can just (laughs) tell, and you can't do it by the angle, but I know he went, Rich, you get it. And I so got it. Coming up, Richard talks about not being famous enough to play himself on Curb Your Enthusiasm. And later, he shares his very strong views about the allegations against Woody Allen. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I loved your performance in Curb Your Enthusiasm this season and all seasons, all the time you've been on it. And that's just one of my favorite shows. How'd you get involved in that in the beginning, playing Larry's cousin? All right, first of all, let me talk about this season and the power of editing. In episodes past, I thought I was hilarious and came up with some pretty great lines and I liked what I had to do. This season, the word's not, I wasn't as challenged. I didn't have those arcs that I had in previous years. What I had to do was very funny, but because of the gestalt of the whole thing, wearing the sweater, just different things. I did not think I was so funny. And I told Jeff Garland this. I said, I didn't think I was this funny, but boy, what a funny season. You guys edited me so well. And he just goes, what the fuck are you talking about? You were great. <laughs> and I go, I don't know whether or not I was that good. And he goes, you were great. And he told Larry. In any case, the reason why I was on the show When they first started doing Curb Your Enthusiasm, if they got a famous person on the show, that famous person always played himself, with the exception of Ed Asner. Because in the episode, the Ed Asner 
character dies. And Larry was worried that people would think Ed Asner died. But everybody played themselves. They need somebody for Cousin Andy. Jeff, who's one of my dear friends, said, how about Richard Kind? Larry goes, he's too famous. <laughs> I told Jeff, assure him, I am not too famous. <laughs> and finally, they did relent and he did use me. But it was all because of Jeff, who suggested me and me assuring Larry that I just was not too famous. Again, the right level of fame, right? It's like you're... you're oh, absolutely. Just not famous enough to play yourself. <laughs> right, exactly. I didn't mind my ego. What the hell? Are you kidding? It, it was the role. From all of the episodes that you've been in, is there a moment or a scene that really sticks out to you as being particularly hilarious? Absolutely. And usually I hate that kind of question, <laughs> but there is. The scene in the episode where Larry pulls the golf ball and, and he ends up killing the black swan. When we are being interrogated by the Japanese owner of the club, he was hilarious. The situation was hilarious, how we had to act. It reminded me, I really wanted them to have the theme from Bridge on the River Kwai to be playing in the background when this Japanese lieutenant <laughs> owner is my guy. And I tend to be a giggler. Yeah. Larry is really a giggler. Really. He'll giggle on everything. Mm -hmm. But after a while, Larry pulled it together. I didn't. I kept giggling. And literally, he had had enough. So, gentlemen, you know what this is? This is tea sheet. Tells me who played and who not played. Only one other group played. Course, not crowded. Respect for norm. Oh, you played. Why? You don't respect the norm? Oh, no, 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 of course I know I respect norm, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Although he was a slow player. What else you are not to respect? Beautiful black swan? My beautiful black swan, Kyoko, was killed, murdered. Who killed Kyoko? You. I don't know you. Who are you? I'm, I'm a guest here, and if I may say, I think the food here is just great. I ordered some eggs with onion just- You killed swan? No, sir. I, I'm from out of town. I have no reason to kill the swan. I'm going to tell you a very funny story about Larry. I'm a very opinionated man. I can be egotistical while lacking confidence, mm -hmm. okay? But I can be very egotistical to the point. There are times I can be condescending. I don't like it about me, but I can do it. I'm on a golf course by the Rose Bowl, and there's always a hole at the 13th or 14th hole where there is a backup of par threes. This is years ago. And there's a backup of like three foursomes, one of whom Larry David is playing, and he's playing alone, sitting on the bench. I walk up. We acknowledge that we know each other. I knew him probably from Fridays, maybe from stand-up. He knew me from Mad About You or me being around. And it was before Mad About You. And I see him up there and, hi, how are you? What are you doing? And he goes, yeah, I just wrote a pilot with Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> and as condescending as I can be, because everybody writes pilots. Back then, everybody had a pilot. Every stand-up had a pilot. <laughs> so he goes, yeah, I just wrote a pilot with Jerry Seinfeld. And as condescending as I could possibly be, I went, oh, yeah, good. Good for you. Good for you. And walked away. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that it was going to be Seinfeld. I tell Larry about this. 
because I remember it. I remember that's where I met him. That's back when my brain was, <laughs> I was a young man and I was, my brain worked at the time. And I definitely remember seeing Larry because I had liked him. I had liked to stand up. I liked him on Fridays. So he didn't hold that against you all these years later. Oh, he didn't remember. Well, are you kidding? He didn't remember at all. But I remember. If you had been nicer, maybe you could have played George. I could have been Elaine, <laughs> for all we know. You're telling me. Okay, here's another good story. I don't tell this story often. I was cast on Seinfeld. I got cast. Part called for a guy who Jerry is sitting next to on an airplane. Jerry, I think, ends up babysitting his dog or something like that. But he's sitting on the airplane. And I said, you know who you should get? You should get a, an actor. He's a wonderful actor named Bradley Mott. Now, Bradley Mott, do you remember the movie The Accidental Tourist? Vaguely, yes. The very beginning, I think even before the credits show up, there's a scene where Bill Hurt is sitting there next to a rotund guy. And he looks at him and he goes, oh my gosh, you're the accidental tourist. And Bill Hurt, I go, yeah, yeah. And he just talks and talks. He's very annoying. Sort of like this guy. Oh my God, you're Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, and becomes annoying. So I say, you should get Bradley Mott, casting director. I don't know who it is, but lied through her teeth and said, oh, we tried to get him. He's not available. That is the biggest <laughs> lie in the world because Bradley Mott lived in Chicago and nobody would think of Brad Mott. So it's your idea. It's my idea. <laughs> He's not big enough. You don't know. Nobody knows who he is, especially anymore. Great actor. I went to school with him. Great in that role. I've seen him on stage. He's fantastic. But he's not a TV actor. He did very, he's a modicum of work and great in everything. But no, people don't know him. In any case, my comeback was that I am by far your second best choice. However, I wasn't right for the role. That's why you were willing to give it away like that? That's another reason why I was willing to give it away as well. I knew I wasn't right for the role. I go in for roles that I know I'm not right for. And I only go in because I love to audition. We can get into that later, but I love auditioning. And if I go in and I don't get the part, they're gonna rem they'll know me for mm -hmm. the next time. Mm -hmm. So I like to get my face in there. I wasn't right for the part. I knew I wasn't gonna get it. I got it. <laughs> I go in, I said, I've pulled the wool over your guy's eyes. I said, I'm not right for this. Oh, I know what it was. We went and we did the table read, the initial table read, which was at a table that must have fit 60 people. Yeah. And the craft service was, were omelets <laughs> and a whole breakfast. Yeah. It was fantastic. This is when they were riding high on Seinfeld. Riding high and everybody wanted to come to the table read of the most successful show on TV. And so everybody was there. I'm at one end, Jerry is at the other end, and we're supposed to be having an intimate conversation because we're sitting on an airplane. I want to be heard. And I wish that I hadn't. I have since learned at a table read, read it realistically. Yeah. Don't read it distance-wise. Mm -hmm. But I'm going, so, <laughs> la, 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 la. And it was horrible. And like I said, I wasn't right for it anyway. And it didn't get laughs. And I'm like a donkey chasing the carrot, you know, with the carrot out in front of you. And I'm just going for the, it was horrible. Afterwards, I told the director who I had worked with before, Tom Chironis, I said, Tom, I pulled the wall over your eyes. I'm no good for this. He goes, no, no, you're great. I go, I'm not. We had a run through. I did not get the laughs. I said, I'm not right for it. I went up to Larry. I said, I'm not right. The next day I get called in and no, 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 you're great. Tuesday night, I got a call from Tom and they decided 
I wasn't late. And who they hired? Oh, I know. Larry came up to me and goes, we're going to change the role. He's going to be a drunk. I go, Larry, I didn't audition to be a drunk. I'm not, I'm no good. He goes, no, 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 you'll be great. I asked to be let go in essence. And they did hire somebody and I'll tell you who it was. His, one of my favorite actors, Joe Mahar. I remember the episode. The actor is nothing like you. Nothing like me. White hair, English, a fop. Nothing like me. They got the right guy. <laughs> Were you hoping that there'd be another part on Seinfeld for you, though? No, and I'll tell you why. Is because on Seinfeld, you are never the arc. You are parsley. You help decorate the arc. You really never have a want. The want in the show belongs to the four of them. You simply facilitate what they can have. Now, with Larry, it's sort of the same thing. Larry writes operatically. They always called Seinfeld is a show about nothing. It's a show about nothing that is taken to operatic levels. They have to have it. It's nothing. It's uh, Kramer could want a pumpernickel rye. That's nothing. But I gotta have it. It's expansive in its emotions. I did want to ask you about this most recent movie that you were in, uh, The Social Ones, which was a fun little uh, movie. Was that improvised as well, what you were doing in that movie, or was that all scripted? Oh, my God. The furthest thing from it. You saw what I had to go through with headphones and recording and stuff like that. This is a movie about the Internet and about techies and the meek shall inherit the earth, the nerds who have inherited the earth. My nickname for my children is tech support because I don't know anything. And this is the guy who invented the internet. So everything I have to say in the movie is so foreign to me that I had to impose a dramatic intent because I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. If you really want to see really good acting, <laughs> I am better than you can possibly imagine. I'm not that great, but if you really want to see acting, it looks like I know what I'm talking about. That thing is just word for word memorized, and I just had to make up what it all meant. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier the co-op musical with Documentary Now, John Mulaney. I just wanted to touch on that again. Your performance in that is just phenomenal. What do you remember from shooting that? First of all, it is my favorite job that I've ever had. It was so much fun. Fun to do. Everybody was my favorite person. Paula Pell, I'm sure you've talked to her. She is the best at what she does. She is the best at being a human being of kindness. She's great. She's great. And she liked me. And that always <laughs> helps. Everybody was great. What I had to do was great. You know, when you get an opportunity to be great, and with no humility whatsoever, I'm going to say, and you live up to it. It's the most wonderful, wonderful thing. It's wonderful. That little monologue that he wrote about the actor's insecurity, it's just fantastic. Yeah. It's just wonderful. That's so good. Wonderful. Hello, Robbie. Hello. Welcome home, Mr. and Mrs. What is this? I'll tell you, this is just a package I've been holding. It's addressed to Mrs. Goldstein. What a co-op, what a lobby. Every slob is acting snobby. But you take a tip from Robbie, you should tip your doorman. Days are merry, all the secrets that I carry. One slip of the lip is scary, cause tomorrow you're not married. I open the door, give kids high fives. One, two, three, I open the door, and I watch your lives and the things you do. So you better tip me, cause I watch your lives.
So good. The other one I wanted to talk to you about just to get a little more politics in is playing Rudy Giuliani in Bombshell. That was quite something. How'd you get in the mindset of Rudy? It's not. I'm going to argue with you on that one. I think that I look the part because the makeup is spectacular. Even though I don't look the part really, the makeup was spectacular. On everyone in that movie, yeah. And everybody. Won the Academy Award. The name Rudy Giuliani will get a laugh because it's Rudy Giuliani. My performance is good acting-wise, but I'm not Rudy Giuliani. I'm just not. Now, I found the essence of him, of the way he talks... Because when I listen to him on like CNN or some of his interviews, he's very clipped with the way he talks. This is how he talks. He talk, talks like that. And sometimes his mind is moving faster than his mouth and sounds a little bit like Rod Steiger. So I started doing Rod Steiger. That's all I did. <laughs> but without doing the, the, hey, like this, you know. And, and I, I just did it very clipped. Mm-hmm. They gave me the teeth. I looked like him. I was the essence. There are people <laughs> who can do a much better imitation. But I think what Jay wanted was that. He didn't want over-the-top Rudy Giuliani. Right. He, he didn't want Saturday Night Live Giuliani. So I think he was pleased with it. But there were people who could have done a better job. The thing is that Jay, again, I guess the reason why he is the chronicler of our political times and of our cultural times and so many things uh, is because his heart is magnanimous and it reaches the zeitgeist through a magnanimous heart. So he tries to tell the truth, and I think that's what he wanted from this Giuliani, Mm. was who was the guy? He's a guy who wanted to keep Roger Ailes as his client. And don't fuck around with them and these things. And we all know what Giuliani can be like. This was before he really went nuts. So I think that that's what he was wanted, and I therefore interpreted what Jay wanted. So we end every episode by asking, who was a comedian or funny person, either in your life or on TV or anywhere, that has made you laugh the hardest in your life? I really, really love the Marx Brothers, and I really love W.C. Fields. And I'm nothing like them, but the person who had the greatest, greatest influence on me was Woody Allen hmm. in the way that he wrote, in developing my comic, my sense of humor, my persona when I really first started out of being nebbishy and weak when it's how I saw him. And like I said, it was my dream to be in a Woody Allen movie. It was my dream And up until this year, I said, I think I have a better chance of still being in a Stanley Kubrick movie. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm not sure there's going to be any more Woody Allen movies for good or bad. I don't know. This past summer, I went to Spain and I was in a Woody Allen movie. (laughs) I was in his most recent movie. Will it make the theaters? It deserves to. Will I be cut out? Who knows? But I was in a Woody Allen movie. What's that movie? It's called Rivkin's Festival. Of course, I didn't read the script. I read my scenes. I saw some scenes. I know what the story is. I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. How do you feel about the fact that his movies are are not coming out, that, you know, there's this general push to really not have him be a presence anymore? Okay, you've now stepped in (laughs) it. So here's what I'm going to say. And I could really really, really get in trouble because of this, because it is a little politically incorrect to take his side. I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'm going to tell you my argument. When I was doing Spin City, Rosie O'Donnell's show would go on live. And every once in a while, because of a vacation or because, you know, like Fridays, they would do a tape show. They would have a tape show. They would bank some shows. I knew Rosie. I had done an episode of TV with her. I knew her from stand-up. We loved Broadway together. I'm on Rosie O'Donnell's show. I'm sitting there. 
I'm her guest. She says, who was your stray sand when you were growing up? And I'm thinking, well, it's Zero Mostel. It was Robert Preston. But like I told you, I was honest. And I said, I guess it would have to be Woody Allen. Now, you're the audience. She's looking at mm-hmm. me, okay? So I say, I guess Woody Allen. And she looks like this, looks out at the audience, and the audience goes, oh. She goes off on a 10-minute diatribe. This is how many years ago? 20, 22 years ago? Yeah, this was kind of in the middle of all the, the Sunni. About and- Woody. Sunni. Mia was one of her best friends. She had been abused when she was a child. I didn't think of it. And she is giving it to me. And how dare you? All of these things. Ten minutes. And I'm a guest. Ten minutes she goes off on me. And then she stops. And she goes, okay, we're taping this. We're just going to go right back to it. And she just starts the interview and she goes, well, cut all of that. We're just going to go back. Now, I'm an improviser. Yeah. I can usually think on my feet. The camera saw me say, well, probably Woody Allen, like that. She goes into it. And the next time they're on my face, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> they, they cut everything and I'm terrified and I don't know what to say about anything. And she asked me a question. So I was horrible. So that's one story. She shouldn't have done that. I understand it. And I happen to love Rosie. I think her heart is in the right place. She felt like she had to say it, I guess. And she felt like she had to say it. She did get her comeuppance when she went after Tom Selleck about guns. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And that was live TV. And he gave it right back to her on live TV. So that's sort of what it was like. She got into it with him and he gave it right back. I did not give it right back, but I will give it right back to you now. Usually if someone who is accused of such a crime to a young child, it is not a one-time only thing. It's usually a serial thing. There's no indication that he did it before. There's no indication that he did it after. If you read the book, which I did, and loved the first 90 pages. His book, loved it. Did you read it? I haven't read it, no. Loved the first 90 pages or so. Take or leave the middle part, but some of it made me think. Some of it I was horrified about. And then the last part of the book where he just dismisses every one of his movies that had such an effect on me personally, on cinema, on comedy, on what is great. And he dismisses it all with, it could have been better. Oh, she was great. Oh, they're wonderful actors. Oh, they're one. It's all it is. It is the most cursory of dismissal of what I think is certainly 15 out of 50 masterpieces. I think it's insulting. He was great to me on the movie set. But there is no fury like a woman scorned. He didn't know Sun Yi. According to the book, he was encouraged to take her out to basketball games. According to the book, Mia did not have the best relationship with Sun Yi. Mm-hmm. It's obvious that Sun Yi has a mind of her own. Mm. She is a strong-willed woman, very strong-willed, rules that relationship, and he dotes on her, he loves her. I was lucky enough to be invited up to lunch and I saw him stand over her with his hands on her shoulders, kiss the top of her head. She kept talking, he was there for her. Who am I? to judge what anybody's relationship should be like. Yes, we are taught that a 50-something or 60-year-old man shouldn't go out with a 22-year-old, but he was taken by her. They had great conversations. They shared basketball. They shared books. They shared movies. They really liked each other to the point where he fell in love with her. 
He really made a sexual mistake by leaving pictures of them on the mantle. It's in the book. She found them. Nothing like a woman scorned, much less an actress scorned. I hate to say it. She took it out on him, used it as whatever. I think that she stood in the way of probably his movies, but maybe she didn't, but his movies being seen. But from what I understand, the movie that was banned here is not such a great movie, but <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But this one deserves to be released. I hope he gets celebrated and appreciated. I hope he is not maligned. I don't believe he should be maligned. I think that what he did by engaging with a 22-year-old at the age that he was is not seemly, but look what they ended up with. They made each other so happy. I think at this point, for me and for a lot of people, I think it's less about the Sun Yi aspect of it and more the Dylan Farrow um, and that allegation. And I But the Sun Yi thing, if he did it with her then he must have done it with a seven-year-old. I don't buy it. Because there's a connection there. Yeah, I just don't buy it. And I'm really serious about the serial crimes. It's not something you try once. It just isn't. I just don't think it is. I wasn't there. I can't say what happened. And I think it's a really hard thing for me. I grew up with Woody Allen movies, loving them. And I still find myself, I'm able to still appreciate those movies. I think it is harder to watch them now. It might be harder to watch his work now for a lot of people. But not me. And again, I really, really, really dismiss the Dylan thing. I really dismiss that. I actually find was more, I didn't know which way to go. I vacillated with Sun Yi. But I'll tell you, bottom line, it's none of our fucking business. He's happy, she's happy, and God bless them. Go on your way. And like he says, I can't worry about anybody else. And you know what? It's true. I just don't buy any. And two courts of law found him in a, what the hell? What the hell? Two courts of law. And still, and maybe it's our meanness as a country, which we now find out we're capable of, that wants him to be guilty and wants to say, uh, you're, you're a New Yorker, you're an intellectual, which he claims he's not, but he is. You're an intellectual, you're, you're a genius, you have all of this. Go fuck yourself, little liberal New Yorker. We don't like you. Jew, actually Jew too, why not? <laughs> all right, that'll get me in trouble. But all of this will get me in trouble and I shouldn't open my mouth. I don't know. We'll see what happens with the movie. I mean, I would still like to see you in a Woody Allen movie because I know that was your uh, dream. And so, and we'll see what happens. You will maybe someday get to see it. I got, let, let's hope I'm in it. I could be cut out so easy. I'm not important to the forwarding of the story. I happen to be a peripheral, but very funny. And if it goes the way that I think it does, useful way of telling the story that he wants to tell. But I hear he cuts people willy-nilly. Not willy-nilly. He cuts people with a purpose. So if I'm cut, I get cut. But I got to be there. I got to be there. You had the experience either way. I had three scenes and two of them I know he liked me. And the third one were so many technical problems. He couldn't worry about anything or reacting. And he, it was a time problem and he had to compromise a little bit on it because of helicopters flying over and stuff like that. Well, I love your work, and I hope that you uh, can get back to work soon. I do too, Matt. I do too. I need a series. <laughs> I really am anxious to do a series again. That's what I'd really like to do. I really want to do. And a drama, an hour show. Not a searing drama, a drama. Something where I can take myself, where I don't have to get a laugh. <laughs> Matt, I'm glad we talked. Thank you so much for doing this. You bet. Stay healthy. 
Thanks so much to Richard Kind for sharing so many stories and opinions with me on this week's show. His latest movie, The Social Ones, is currently available everywhere on VOD and digital rental. Also, heads up, we have a very fun bonus episode coming later this week with one of my absolute favorite cast members from The Office. So look out for that as well. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help me and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you very soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.